I'm going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp and his clothes were torn and dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honour. Where have you come from? David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened? David asked. Tell me. The men fled from the battle, he replied. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who had brought him the report, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the chariots and their drivers in hot pursuit. When he turned around and saw me, he cried out to me and I said, What can I do? He asked me, Who are you? An Amalekite, I answered. Then he said to me, Stand here by me and kill me. I am in the throes of death, but I am still alive. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on his head and the band on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite, he answered. David asked him, Why weren't you afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David had said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. David took up his lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised. The shield of Saul, no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, From the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. 
daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun... And in the morning, we will remember them. You probably recognise those lines. That's part of a poem uh, written in the early days of World War I as a lament for the young men already being lost in that war. And it's a poem that's normally read out at Anzac services um, as we commemorate that day. And it's a shame that we can't do that in the usual way this year because lament is important A poem like this one helps us to express the pain and the cost of war so we can learn from it, so we can remember the sacrifice of those who died. And that's right. There's certain things in life that we should lament. It's right to lament at the loss, the death of someone we love. It's right to lament at the state of our world right now as COVID affects many countries much more deeply than our own. And 2 Samuel uh, starts here with a lament, a bit like the ode on Anzac Day, it's a lament over those lost in battle. We won't really be connecting this passage with Anzac Day, but it's really a launching point. Our task today will be to see how, uh, what this lament teaches us about God's King. We want to see the heart of the king in this lament. And so in this passage, we're going to see the true king who laments. The true king who laments. And there's two parts to this chapter. Uh, First, we're going to see the true king in this strange story of the Amalekite who comes to David in verses 1 to 16. And then secondly, we're going to see the true king who laments there in David's poem, from verses 17 to 27. It would be great help to have your Bibles open in front of you as we uh, kind of work our way through this passage. And our goal will be to see uh, how David's lament points forward to Jesus and then also to see where lament fits within the Christian life. If you've never lamented before, uh, then we'll have a go today. Uh, So firstly the true king. First Samuel finishes with the death of King Saul at the hands of the Philistines. 
And 2 Samuel opens with this man coming to David with the news. He's a foreigner, an Amalekite, living in Israel. And so the first part of this story is about this Amalekite and Saul. This Amalekite and Saul. Um, but there's something very strange going on with this story. I'm sure you felt it as we, as we read it through. It seems like after he's told his story, David just flies off the handle. He, he has him killed on the spot, no trial, even though it seems like he's done the right thing. In fact, the man approaches perfectly. Notice that, verse 2. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honour. He comes in mourning, clothes torn. He's not dirty from the battle. Uh, These are the marks of someone in grief. And he falls in honour before David. Uh, This guy knows how to approach people in power. And if anything, he's done the right thing, hasn't he? He doesn't let King Saul die in agony. He doesn't let him be captured by the Philistines. He kills him out of mercy. And he rescues the crown and the royal insignia and he brings them to David. He's done the right thing, hasn't he? So why does David react so violently? Well, if this was a movie, here's where you'd insert the flashback sequence. Uh, So we're going to do that in our Bibles. Turn back one page in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 31. And we're going to read uh, verses 3 to 6. And as we do, I want you to look in your Bibles and I want you to play spot the difference. What do you notice about uh, what's different between uh, this report and the Amalekite story in 2 Samuel 1? So let's read from 1 Samuel 31, verse 3. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armour-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armour-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armour-bearer saw that Saul was dead... He too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armour-bearer and all his men died together that same day. Ah, so, no Amalekite here. And uh, did you notice that the details are all different? The archers, the armour-bearer. This guy, this Amalekite, definitely was not on the scene when Saul died. So what's up with his story in 2 Samuel chapter 1? Well, now that we know what actually happened, we can turn back and see his report in a new light. Uh, Have a look at how he starts his story in verse 6. I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. (laughs) Okay, I just happened to be wandering about in the middle of a battlefield. It's pretty sus. Uh, He's not a fighter. He's a scavenger waiting off in the bushes to the side, waiting for that break in the fighting to go and strip the dead. And he just happens to hit the jackpot, the king. And so his story is a lie, a fabrication. Uh, What do they say? The first casualty of war is the truth. But why does he go 
to David with the crown. Well, now that we can see his motivation, uh, we can tell that he's in it for the money. If he plays this right, he's going to have it made. Uh, Come with fake grief and fake honour. Tell a fake story that makes him out to be the hero. Give David the crown that he's always longed for and then get a sweet gig in David's court. Except, David doesn't long for the crown. He longs for God's honour. He longs for the Lord's anointed to be praised. And this Amalekite thinks he can exploit Saul's death for his own gain. No way. David will not have it. David is not about selfish ambition. He's about God's honour. And so David gives this Amalekite exactly what he deserves. Ironically, he's punished for what he said he did, even though he didn't actually do it. As David says in verse 16, he says, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth has testified against you. He gets repaid in line with his intent, if not his deed. Can you see how this story shows David as the true king. This Amalekite presumes on David's lust for power. And really, that's his big mistake. He figures that everyone in politics, everyone in Canberra, must be driven by selfish ambition. Everyone there, but not David. He's the true king. He's the king who cares about God's honour and he refuses to dishonour the Lord's anointed. Just as Tyler pointed out for us, Jesus doesn't grasp the crown for himself. He's the true king. But there's another way we see David as the true king. Uh, this time, in contrast to Saul, There's another way we see David as the true king of Israel, this time in contrast to Saul. Uh, For this, we need a second flashback. We need to look uh, at the history between Saul and the Amalekites. Saul and the Amalekites this time. So, uh, flashback in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15 this time. That's a few more pages. Uh, Just flick back there. King Saul has been fighting the Amalekites and he's, he's won the battle, but he's disobeyed God in the process. And so here's what the prophet Samuel says to him after this incident, back in 1 Samuel 15. We'll pick it up from verse 17. Samuel said, uh, he's talking to Saul here. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? See, this is the point where Saul fails. God rejects him as king. Why? Because he disobeys God. 
And he doesn't destroy the Amalekites as he's told. He takes the animals for himself. He doesn't kill the king. Now think back to our passage today. Think about what's happened with uh, Saul's death. Can you see God's justice at work here? Saul plunders the Amalekites, even though he shouldn't. Saul plunders the Amalekites, and now an Amalekite plunders Saul. Saul lies and claims to have destroyed the Amalekites, and now an Amalekite lies and claims to have destroyed him. Saul fails to kill the Amalekite king, but in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, what do we find David doing? Returning from striking down the Amalekites. See, we're being reminded of Saul's failure as king, that he gets what he deserves. But in David, we see the true king, the true king who succeeds where Saul fails, the true king who honours God. So the first part of this chapter is all setting up uh, to show us that David is the true king. But part two is given over to this formal lament And that tells us something about David as well, something really important. And a little like saying the ode on Anzac Day, uh, this is a poem of remembrance. Verse 18, David orders that it be taught to the people, memorised. He calls it the lament of the bow. Uh, I think kind of like calling it the lament of the rifle. He wants Judah and their fighting men to, to remember this moment to feel the grief and have it settle inside them. We see David as the true king who laments. But see what he laments over. See, he laments for God's honour. Let's read verse 20. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. See, what pains him is the thought that God's name will be dishonoured among the nations. When news of Saul's defeat reaches the Philistines, Israel's just going to be a laughingstock. And he can imagine the headlines in Gath, the women out in the street there in Philistia, Uh, singing their songs of praise to Dagon. And it pains him. David is the true king who laments for God's honour. And that's why he laments for Saul as well. Even though Saul did try to kill him, David still honours him as the Lord's anointed. To honour Saul is to honour the Lord himself. And so he instructs Israel, verse 24, Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery. David is the true king who laments for God's honour. But notice also how the poem ends. He turns from Israel's grief to his own grief. Verse 26 moves to I grieve. And really as he finishes, he laments simply for his friend. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. There's nothing 
uh, romantic or sexual implied here. He simply misses his friend. David was so dear to him. It's personal for David. I listen to a long-running podcast, definitely nothing serious. It's just four friends who talk about sport. Uh, But at the start of this year, uh, one of the four uh, died, uh, died of cancer. And because it's their job, the other three have just kept on doing the podcast. And every week, they mention him. They remember some joke, some way he cared for them. And they just miss their friend. And David includes Jonathan in this lament because his sadness is real. It's personal for him. David is the true king who laments. Our task today has been to see the heart of the king. And that's what we'll be doing all the way through this series in 2 Samuel. Because we want to see how King David sets the stage for King Jesus. And today in David we've seen the true king who laments, who's passionate for God's honour, not for selfish ambition. The true king who is filled with grief when the Lord's anointed is despised. The king who laments for the death of those he loves. And here in David we see a glimpse of Jesus, the true king who laments. Just a shadow, just a taste of God's ultimate king. Even more than David, Jesus is passionate for God's honour. Filled with grief when God just gets lip service from the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders. Now you might think, wait, when does Jesus lament? I know he cries when when Lazarus, his friend, dies, uh, but then he raises him straight away, so there's not a whole long time of lament going on there. But Jesus does lament. He laments for God's honour. And he laments for people who turn away from him. Read with me Jesus' words of lament in Luke 13, verse 34. Luke 13. Verse 34, Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. He laments over the hard-heartedness of God's people, that he comes to them as God's Messiah and they will not listen. And see how personal it is for Jesus. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, they aren't enemies to be defeated, they aren't opponents to be bested in debate. They're baby chicks, people to be gathered together who are precious to him just as Jonathan was precious to David. Jesus is the true king who laments. And if that's true, if that's the heart of King Jesus, uh, then his followers, like us, should learn to lament as well. So is that us? 
Do we lament in the same way? In our prayers, do we express our sadness over the fact that God's name is not honoured around us? Do we lament over our own sin, the times when we dishonour God? Do we grieve uh, when we see immorality in the church? Do we lament that so many in our city don't know the God who made them or the Saviour who loved them? We ought to lament. Now, that can't be our only attitude. Uh, We should be thankful. We should be optimistic and encouraged when we see the fruit of the gospel. But we should practice lament too, like Jesus. Lament for God's honour. Lament for people who don't know him. So let's do that now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of lament. There might be many things in your life that it's right to lament over, uh, but for right now, I'm going to focus in on those things that have been raised by this passage today. Please pray with me. Loving Father, as your Son taught us to pray, we long for your name to be hallowed, honoured in the world around us. And we're saddened when this isn't the case. Please hold back those who would dishonour your name in public. And yet we confess that we don't honour your name as we should in our own lives. Please forgive us. Thank you that in Christ we can know your forgiveness. We admit too that the dishonour of Jesus doesn't distress us as it should. Please change us. Give us hearts that lament when Jesus is mocked. Make us passionate for your honour and for the name of Jesus. Gracious God, we know you are patient and forgiving, wanting none to perish, but all to turn to you in repentance and faith. And so we grieve for those around us who do not know you as their loving Father. Please have mercy on them. And lead them to Jesus, the one who longs to gather them in as a hen gathers her chicks. This we ask in his name. Amen.